Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. In a moment, Liam's coming to preach to continue our Awaken series. But all I've got left to do is the Bible reading from Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. But when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others you are fasting. But only your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Please join me in welcoming Liam to the stage. We are speaking on fasting today. I don't know how that makes you feel. Maybe some of you are like, oh, it's intriguing. Some of you are a little apprehensive. Some of you hungry already, uh, hangry, I don't know. Um, however you're feeling, I hope that today will be an interesting sermon. It's certainly been an interesting one for me to think about. Um, alongside this series, uh, this Awaken series, in which we are thinking about how we can go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, both as individuals but as a church, alongside this series, we created a spiritual survey as a tool for you to think about your own spiritual life and think about any ways you may want to grow yourself. I think about 140 people have filled it in so far. Um, It's still open. We're not going to close it, so do check it out if that will be helpful to you, christchurchlondon.org forward slash survey. I know numbers of people have said they found it really helpful just for raising questions they would never have thought about about their own spiritual life. Um, And it was completely anonymous, so I don't know who filled in what answer, um, but I have seen a snapshot of the results. And one of the questions was on the subject of fasting. I know it's ironic to talk about fasting and then put a pie chart on the screen, but go with me on this. Well, you laughed at that way more than that joke deserved. It wasn't that funny, but there you go. Um, We asked the question, how frequently do you practice fasting? Just over 28% of people said never, 39.5% said rarely, 5% said once a year, 2% said the concept was new to them. Which means that for 75% of us, fasting is something we do infrequently or never at all. Along with praying using the gift of tongues, this was basically equal, the, the spiritual discipline least practiced in Christchurch London. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. I don't say that to make you feel bad, not at all. Actually, it's not a surprise to me. And the reason it's not a surprise is because this has been my story for most of my Christian life. Maybe, in fact, you didn't even know that fasting was a thing that Christians did. For years, I kind of didn't really know what it was. I sort of assumed that it was maybe something that only some super tier of Christians, to which I would never attain, uh, do. But for most of us normal Christians, and for the sake of this talk, I consider myself normal. Uh, For most of us normal Christians, uh, we just don't ever have to think about it. But actually, over the last year and a half or so, I've been thinking and reading and learning and practicing about this more and more. And I've become convinced that rather than being just a peripheral or small theme in Scripture, this is actually a major theme in Scripture. Right the way through Old Testament and New Testament, I've been so surprised to find just how many times fasting is mentioned. People do it again and again and again and again. Jesus did it. His disciples did it. What's more, Jesus assumes that all his disciples would do it. So in that passage which Nengi just read, he didn't say if you fast, if you're one of the special tier that does. He says when you fast. Jesus seems to assume that fasting is a key part of how we develop our relationship with God. And yet for many of us, I imagine it hasn't even registered as such. 
So today, what I want to do is try and convince you why I think fasting is an important thing for all of us to do, at least at some times in our Christian life, and to give you some tools for how to do it as well. And we've not talked about this a lot at Christchurch, so I'm going to try and cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. Do bear with me. I won't cover everything. And so if you want to read more, I would recommend three books in particular, uh, which are um, Scott McKnight's book, Fasting, Arthur Wallace's God's Chosen Fast, and John Piper's A Hunger for God. And actually, I've read loads of things on this. So if you devour those and are hungry for more, yes, puns intended, then uh, drop me a line. I can recommend loads of different things that may be helpful, but these will get you started. Also, to be clear, I'm not a medical professional, uh, so I'm not going to go anywhere near the sort of medical side of it. Um, uh, If you do want to read more about what it does to your body, how to practice it safely. Check out these books. Uh, I'm not even going to pretend that that is an area of expertise to me. It's too dangerous for me even to try at. We're going to focus on what the Bible has to say. And I want to look at three questions today. What, why, and how. Jensen Franklin, uh, whose book I haven't recommended up there for a a number of reasons, but his definition is actually spectacular. He says um, that stated simply, biblical fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Really simple. I think that's the clearest definition I've come across. Refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. I think it's important to start there because that's actually different to how many of us use the word fasting. See, it's not uncommon today for us to use fasting for a whole load of things. We talk about doing a social media fast or fasting TV or fasting technology or whatever it happens to be. Maybe for a fixed period of time, maybe Lent, for example. Now, those things are all great to do. I definitely recommend you do them. I do them myself. I find them spiritually beneficial. But strictly speaking, they are not what the Bible means by fast. And that's not just because the Bible times didn't have Twitter. Like, it's all Always in the Bible, fasting is always to do with food. So you can't, for example, choose to fast my sermon. That's not fasting. That's just poor life choices. So fasting is always to do with food. And in the Bible, there are various categories of fast. Let me run through them. First of all, we have what is known as the normal fast, sometimes called a water fast. This is where you go without food for a fixed period of time, but you still consume water. And people would do this for various lengths of time, 12 hours, 24 hours, three days, seven days, 21 days, 40 days. Uh, There are loads of examples of this in Scripture. We'll come back to that in a bit. There's another category known as an absolute fast, which is where people go without food and water. Now, this is incredibly rare in Scripture. It is not often uh, practiced at all. It was only done in dire emergencies. I would not recommend it. I don't even think the Bible recommends it particularly. Um, So we're not really focusing on that at all today, except that is something that happens from time to time. There's then a third category known as a partial fast, and I put this in italics because I think it's slightly different, is refraining from categories of food for a period of time. An example of this would be in Daniel chapter 1, where Daniel refuses to eat the food from the king's table and only eats vegetables instead. Now, I think this is slightly different, and most writers on fasting actually say that the church has historically not considered this fasting. It's abstinence. It's a good thing to do, but actually the reason Daniel does it is very different from any of the other reasons in Scripture. So it's helpful. Yes, by all means, do it. Give up chocolate for Lent, do Veganuary, whatever it happens to be. Those are good things, but they're not strictly speaking to be thought of as fasting, according to most writers on this subject. The primary model of fasting in Scripture is this normal fast, and this will be practiced in a number of ways. One, for a long period of time, or two, as what is sometimes referred to as a stationary fast. Now, I think I've spelt that correctly, uh, otherwise it's going without paper clips. I think that's like station. I got it right. Yes, good. Thank you. (laughs) And this is fasting for a fixed period or a fixed time of a, a, a week or a month or whatever it happens to be. 
And in scripture, it seems that people would regularly practice these stationary fasts, maybe even twice a week. So in Luke chapter 18, there's this story that Jesus tells where a Pharisee gets up and he says, I thank you that I'm better than all these other people because, and he lists all these reasons, one of which is I fast twice a week. Now, Jesus is criticizing him not for fasting twice a week. Actually, Jesus probably did that and his disciples probably did that. He's criticizing him for showing off about it and we'll come back to that later. But that passage shows us that there was a widespread practice among Jews at the time of of doing a stationary fast, twice a week fasting for a period of time. There's a text called the Didache, which is a first century Christian text, which shows us how the early Christians took the Jewish practices and then applied them in the light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it's really interesting. One of the chapters, chapter 8, says this. Do not let your fasts coincide with those of the hypocrites, that is the Pharisees. They fast on Monday and Thursday, so you must fast on Wednesday and Friday. Now, this isn't a rule. It's not in the Bible. I certainly don't do that. I love Fridays. I don't want to fast on those days. Um, But... What it tells us at least is this, Jesus and his disciples and all his contemporaries probably practiced fasting twice a week. And the early Christians didn't go, well, we don't need to do that anymore. It carried on as a core part of Christian discipleship in the first century. Now, people would have practiced this a whole load of different ways. Historical sources show us that some people did it from sundown to noon. That is, they skipped breakfast and ate lunch. Some would do it from sunrise to sundown. That's it. That is, they would eat breakfast but skip lunch. Some would do it from sundown to sundown. They would skip breakfast and lunch and break fast with an evening meal. The variety of ways that people practiced it, I think, is interesting. There's no one set way. What's important is that the Jewish people at the time of Jesus and then the early Christians all practiced the habit of regularly fasting as a way of showing their dependence on God. Week in, week out, coming back to him and saying, I need more of you. So when Jesus says to his disciples, when you fast, I think he has two things in mind. One is the stationary fasting regularly, and the other is at times of particular crisis or need, coming to God for a longer period of time in prayer. So that's what fasting is. I've gone through that quite quickly. But why? Like Why would Jesus do it? Why would his disciples do it? And why would God think it is beneficial for any of us to do? Well, the Bible gives a whole load of reasons, and I won't go through them now, but You may want to take a photo of the slide and and do homework in your own time and check them out. But there are various times in Scripture where people fast, maybe to prepare for meeting God. So Moses fasts 40 days before he gets given the law uh, on the mountain. Repentance for sin, grieving over sickness and praying for healing, mourning over death, praying for protection or victory, particularly in the midst of battle or where your life is in danger, showing solidarity with the poor. Isaiah talks about that, a really powerful chapter. Do read that. Preparation for ministry. So Jesus fasts 40 days before he starts his ministry and the early apostles did as well before they get sent out to start a new church or whatever. They often fast for a period of time. Now, all of these are worth digging into because they have interesting things to say for our context. But what I want to do rather than going through these is just group some of them together into three categories. And they all begin with P because I'm a great preacher. So the first is this, prayer. Now, often when fasting is mentioned in scripture, it's associated with prayer. It's prayer and fasting or fasting and prayer. But it's not just the case that you fast in order to pray or you fast to make space for prayer. There's actually something about the act of fasting which is in itself prayer. It's prayer that it goes deeper than just the words that come out of our mouths. It's a whole embodied way of praying. John Piper puts it like this. 
He says the early Christians were hungry enough for God's leading that they wanted to say it with the hunger of their bodies and not just the hunger of their hearts. I like that. I think that's a good way of phrasing it. Fasting is a way of bringing every part of who we are as a human being, body and spirit, together in one unified prayer. And it works in two different ways. If you feel a deep spiritual hunger and you want more of God's presence or you want more intimacy with God and you feel that in your soul, then fasting is great because it brings your body in line with what your spirit is feeling. So you lead with this hunger that you have in your spirit and you, you embody that in your flesh, in your body by going through literal hunger. And it's a way of all of you as a being crying out to God. But the flip side is also true. If you feel like you lack spiritual hunger or spiritual uh, connection with God, then fasting can be really powerful because you start with your body, you create a hunger that you experience, and then you almost like challenge your soul to catch up with what your body's experiencing. It's a way of bringing together every part of you to focus together in prayer. Scott McKnight says, Fasting is the body talking what the spirit yearns, what the soul longs for, and what the mind knows to be true. It is body talk for the person, the whole person, to express herself or himself completely. Fasting is one way you and I bring our entire selves into complete expression. When we fast, it's a way of saying, I don't believe that my spiritual life and my physical life are disconnected. I am one, and I bring that together. And it's a way of bringing the whole of your being together in prayer, focused on a particular situation or challenge or area of your life. So the first reason we fast is for prayer. The second, though, is purification. Now, hear me right when I say this. Fasting does not make you pure. It does not make you holy. Fasting does not save you. It does not make you a Christian. Only faith and belief in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection does that. But there is a sense in which fasting is a powerful tool for helping you to become more like Jesus, the Jesus that you are choosing to follow. And it does this through a number of ways. Uh, to be clear, food is good. Food is, well, at least when I cook it, it's good. Food is a good gift from God. And we are designed to, uh, to need food for life. And I'm not going to say loads on this. I did a talk in the Proverbs series called Master Your Appetites, where I looked at this in the spirit and the flesh. Do check that out. I think it will be quite helpful as a framework for understanding this. And if you check it out on the podcast, that boots my ratings above the other preachers. So that's worth doing. But food is good. We are designed to depend on food. Now, I'm a bit of a foodie. I love to cook. I love to read recipe books. I love to try cooking new things. I love to try new cuisines. I enjoy food. And when I fast, I find it hard, as many of us would. And it's suddenly like all your foodie senses just go into overdrive. I don't know if you ever had this. If you ever try and go without food for a little while, suddenly you just become hyper aware of any edible item within a 50 meter radius. It's like they cry out to you. Like colleagues who are eating things you would never find tempting, you're suddenly like, I'd kill for that. It's like dreaming of tofu and kale, and for once it's not a nightmare, you know? You, you're craving things. I, last time, this is not a joke, last time I decided to fast for a, a period of time, uh, my Bible reading took me to the book of Leviticus, which is a challenging book, and I'm reading a really difficult passage about um, animal sacrifices and burnt offerings, and they come together in my mind, and I'm imagining roasted meat, and it's like, 
it made the passage really exciting, but also really distracting. Um, so a little pro tip, like avoid certain passages when you're fasting and, and log off Instagram as well. Uh, at least if your feed is anything like mine, uh, just log off Instagram or just stop following Nengi at least because she just posts food all the time and it just makes you hungry. So, but the point is, we are designed for food. We are designed to enjoy food. And when we go without it for a period of time, when we choose to do that, we suddenly become hyper aware of our need for food. And that's right. We become vividly reminded just how weak we are and how we all need something outside of ourselves to sustain us. And that awareness of hunger then becomes a tool for us to go back to God and to say, I want you to be my sustenance. I want you to be the thing that sustains me, not anything else. I want to find hope and strength and life in you. And when we fast, it doesn't just help us to become aware of our own physical hunger. It actually, in a weird kind of way, acts like a spiritual detox that helps us become aware of a whole load of areas of our lives where we may be tempted to depend on something else other than God for our sustenance. Richard Foster puts it like this. Fasting reveals the things that control us, not just food. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they are within us, they will surface during fasting. I think he's right. Fasting reveals what is really going on inside of us so that we can deal with it to become more Christ-like. Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I, um, I was fasting for a, a, just a short period and uh, I was praying. And I was praying through the Lord's Prayer. And I got to that line, like, give us this day our daily bread, which is a mean line to have in there when you're fasting. Like, suddenly I'm just dreaming of freshly baked sourdough. And I'm like, no, Jesus, no, focus, focus. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I'm praying this, just familiar lines. Suddenly someone pops into my head. I had no reason to think of them. I wasn't thinking of them previously. But I thought, I wonder why I'm now thinking of that person. I wonder if God has brought that person to mind. And I didn't realize, I didn't think that I had any particular thing that I needed forgiveness from them for or that I needed to forgive them for. But I started to pray about it and I realized, actually, my attitude to that particular person is generally not good. It's not like there's no particular thing that's an issue. I just don't think the best of them. I'm not always that gracious to them. I don't think very kindly or generously towards them. And as I realized this about myself in the context of prayer and fasting, I thought, I've got to deal with that. So I prayed, Lord, would you help me to be more generous in my thinking towards this person? May I be more gracious? May I treat them as you would? And would you bless them abundantly today? And I went away. <laughs> oh, beautiful spiritual moment there, triggered by someone's ringtone. So uh, I went away just feeling more like, ah, oh, my heart feels different as a result. Now, here's the thing. A few hours later, I get a phone call from that person. I, I've no idea why. They never phoned me. So it was a complete surprise. I picked up the phone and they said, hey, can we talk for a little bit? I've got this challenging area happening in my life right now. And they were really open and honest and vulnerable with me and asked for me to help them and to pray with them. And I was able to talk them through and to pray with them uh, in a way that really helped. Now, I hope that if they called the day before, I might have still done a good job, but I can't guarantee that I would have done. I think something about coming to God in prayer and fasting unearthed this thing in my heart so it could be dealt with so that I could serve them in the most Christ-like way. Fasting does that in a whole load of ways in our life. Pride, arrogance, anger, bitterness, jealousy, they come to the surface. Why? So that Jesus can help us to get free from them. Prayer, purification. The third thing fasting does, though, is this. It gives us access to power. Power. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that when you fast, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he doesn't exactly say what that reward looks like, but I think in part, 
It's an intimate relationship with him and the power that comes by the Holy Spirit. My wife is calling me. That's not helpful. (laughs) In Acts chapter 2, she knows I'm preaching. Why does she do that? In Acts chapter (laughs) 2... In Acts chapter 2, we read the story of Pentecost, which is a familiar story where, where God sends the Holy Spirit upon the early Christian disciples to fill them with power to do the very things that Jesus did, to pray for the sick, to see them healed, to raise the dead, to share the good news of Jesus with power and effectiveness. And Peter stands up to explain what has just happened. And he explains it by saying there was an ancient promise about this in Joel chapter 2, where God said this, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people, on, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days. That God promised to send power to his people so they could do the things that he did. But the verse begins, and afterwards, which makes me think, after what? What came before this? Go back a few verses in Joel. It says this, verse 12. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Give your heart to God. Rend your heart to him. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And they'll do these incredible things. You see, there's something about about coming to God wholeheartedly, surrendering yourself to him and saying, Lord, I need more of your power. That actually opens up his ability to fill you with his power by the Holy Spirit. Fasting prepares us to receive the power of God. There's this story in Mark chapter 9, which I love, where Jesus has been up on the mountain uh, with some of his disciples and he comes back down and, and the other disciples are having an argument with some of the religious leaders. And there's this father there who comes to Jesus who says, I brought my son to your disciples because he's really ill and he's been ill from birth. Actually, he's had this kind of uh, spiritual oppression that means he hasn't been able to speak. And I brought him to your disciples because I thought they would be able to heal him, but they haven't been able to. And what I find interesting there is that the father assumes, well, these people have been with Jesus. Surely they can do the same things Jesus did. And Jesus didn't correct him and go, oh, no, that's not how it works. Like Jesus seems to assume it as well. So he gets angry with the disciples. Where's your faith? See, Jesus seems to assume that those who follow him are able to do the same things that he does because they have access to the same power. But they can't for whatever reason. We'll come back to that in a moment. So the father says to Jesus, if you can, would you heal him? And Jesus says, if anything is possible for the one who believes. And so he heals the boy on the spot. Amazing moment. A couple of verses later, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why is it that we weren't able to do that? And Jesus says, because this kind of spirit that was oppressing this boy can only come out by what? Prayer and fasting. Now, here's the question. At what point did Jesus do the fasting that resulted in the boy's healing? Because it wasn't in that moment. Jesus didn't say, hang on, I'll just not eat for 30 seconds. Okay, good to go. Like, that's not how it worked. Nor did Jesus say, come back in three days and we'll do it then. Rather... Jesus had built a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, regularly trusting in God and being filled with his presence and his power such that he was then able in the moment to do the thing that needed to be done. Jesus, throughout all his life, had learned to draw on the power of God through prayer and fasting. And we can do the same. You know, I think there are probably areas where I have not been able to do the things that Jesus did, partly because I've neglected prayer and fasting. Because I've not drawn on the fullness of the power that is available through this tool that Jesus gives us. As far as I can tell, there is no law in the New Testament that says Christians must fast. I've read the New Testament plenty of times, not come across one yet. If you go away from this talk thinking, interesting, never going to do it. Like God will never love you less. That's not how this works. 
Fasting is not a law, it's not a rule, it's an invitation. It's Jesus saying, hey, if you want to do the things that I did, you need the power that I had, and it's freely available to you. You need the lifestyle that I had, which is depending on God regularly, crying out to him to fill you with his power. And one of the ways you do that is through prayer and fasting. So if you feel dissatisfied ever with the level of intimacy you experience in your relationship with God, my question to you would be, have you ever tried fasting? Have you just dismissed it? Why not give it a go? If you feel dissatisfied with the level of power you experience in your spiritual life, maybe it's time to try fasting. If you're frustrated, as I often am, that I pray for sick people and they don't seem to get better as frequently as they did for Jesus, or I'm, just, I'm facing challenging areas of my life that I'm praying about and I can't seem to break through in them, my challenge to you is, have you tried fasting? Why not give it a go? Now, it's not a quick fix solution. It's not like I skip one meal and suddenly everything's fine, like I wish it were like that, but it's really not. Actually, Jesus is inviting us to a full lifestyle in which we submit ourselves to him through prayer, through fasting, through trusting his word, through a whole load of spiritual practices so that we get to experience the power that is fully available to do the things that Jesus did. And now for how John Tyson puts it, a pastor from New York. He says, the power is not in the practice. The practice is a portal to the person. The person has the power and that person is Jesus. Fasting is one of those doors that if you don't go through it, you don't get the power. So there's an invitation today. If you want more closeness with God and a sense of his power in your life, why not try fasting? And if you're thinking, yeah, I'd love to give that a go. How do you do it? Well, you're lucky that's my third point. <laughs> How do we do it? And here are three things to think about. And again, they all start with P. So six P's in a sermon. Like, that's, that's world-class alliteration. <laughs> I am good to you. Um, the first is this. Why not think firstly about the purpose? Why are you fasting? Why do you want to give it a go? Check your motives and make sure that they are right. You see, Jesus said uh, in, in that passage that Nengi read earlier, Matthew 6, that fasting is primarily between you and God. And so if you practice fasting in such a way as to draw attention to yourself, you actually miss out on the reward that God has for you. So he says, try and look as normal as possible while you fast so that people don't notice. Because actually, if people notice and go, oh, wow, you're so spiritual. You're part of the 2% of Christ Church that fasts once a month. Like, there's not a lot of kudos that comes with that club. But if people are like, oh, wow, you're incredible. I can never be like you. That's a kind of reward, but it's not really going to help you at the end of the day. The reward that helps you is when you fast in secret so that only God knows. And when he sees that, he sees the true, pure motives of your heart. He will reward you for that. Now, Jesus isn't saying that if anyone ever finds out that you fast, you lose your reward. That's not what he's saying. I mean, in this culture, people literally fasted on set days of the week. It was no surprise to anyone that anyone else was fasting. <laughs> if we do a corporate fast and everyone fasts together, as often happens in Scripture, you can't really hide that from people. Jesus is saying what's important is the heart, is your purpose. Are you doing this to appear more spiritual or to genuinely connect with God? So first of all, check your purposes. And as an aside, as you consider whether you want to try fasting, it may well be worth asking yourself, is this actually the best thing for me to do right now? Is it even a healthy thing for me to do right now? And there may be a whole load of reasons why fasting is not for you right now. And I don't want you to go away thinking, oh, Liam says I've got to skip a meal. Absolutely not. What I'm interested in is every one of us bringing the whole of our beings in submission to God and accessing his power. And fasting may not be a helpful thing for you to do, particularly if you struggle with body image or eating disorders or have an unhealthy relationship to food. I don't want you to feel the pressure of having to do this because actually it may just reinforce unhelpful patterns in your life. 
What's more important is that you come to God and say, I want to get every area of my life sorted. And so the, the biggest, most courageous step you might be able to take this week is not to go without food at all, but to reach out and have an honest conversation with someone about this. You may want to check out the steps course, which starts on March the 3rd here after the service. There's information on the website. Do check it out. Or speak to a member of the pastoral support team. Email pastoralsupport at christchurchlondon.org. I think God will honor you taking a bold step of having an honest and courageous conversation in order to bring this area of your life under him. So the first thing to do is think about your purpose. The second is to plan. Decide the length of fast you want to do and plan how and when to do it. I find it helpful to plan because I know that if I don't, I probably will ne not get around to fasting. So I look ahead. I decide what days I'm going to plan. I realized this week, actually, um, that I put it in my diary, and uh, which is a great way of planning, except that various people in the office see my diary. And so someone said to me the other week, oh, you're fasting today. I was like, darn it, I've lost my reward. You found out. <laughs> That's not how it works. But, but I plan. Look at your diary. Think, when would I like to do this? When can I do this in a way that I'm going to easily be able to avoid food or it's not going to draw attention to myself too much if I go without food for a particular time? Plan. Put it in the diary. Work out how you can do it best. Now, if you've never fasted before, maybe just start simple. Like, I don't want anyone going away from this thinking, yes, I'm now not going to eat for 40 days. <laughs> you will not make it. You will not make it. That's a stupid thing to do. If you've never fasted before, start simple. Try skipping one meal and instead spending the time praying. Or skip two meals. Do 24 hours and spend more time praying. You may want to do it with others. That can be a really helpful way to start. Perhaps if you're part of a connect group, you may want to all set aside the day when you meet to say, we're not going to eat during the day, but we're going to give ourselves to prayer. We're going to come together in the evening. We're going to pray together, talk about our experience, and then break the fast together with a meal. That can be a great way to start. If you have fasted before, maybe the next step for you is to try, uh, can I have the next slide up actually? Uh, try uh, expanding your fast a little bit. Try three days or maybe even a week. And if you are going to fast for more than a day or so, it's probably worth thinking about some of the physical effects and maybe reading a bit about it, um, what it does to your body, how much water to drink, that sort of thing. Don't Google it because you'll find some weird stuff out there. But check out one of the books I recommended earlier, particularly Arthur Wallace or Scott McKnight have got some good material on that. Perhaps you want to make a habit of fasting regularly, saying, I'm going to give it 12 hours a day, once a week, or once a month, or once a term, or whatever it happens to be. Why not look through your diary and set a goal for yourself? In March, we're going to have a week of prayer as a church across all our services. And on Wednesday, the 13th of March, we're going to suggest uh, that we do a corporate day of fasting as a church where we fast and we pray. And you may want to be part of that. You may not want to. That's totally up to you. In the run-up to it, we'll produce some resources and we'll talk about it. And we'll put some prayer events on that week as well. But you may want to put that in your diary now and say, well, at least before then, I want to give it a go once so I know what to expect. If that helps, give it a go. Maybe the band can come back up. Fasting is about... Uh, well, the, the three ways to do it are check your purpose, make sure you plan. But the thirdly, well, this is the sixth P, and it's one I used before, so I cheated, but there you go. It's prayer. It's prayer. The third thing to ask yourself is how am I going to pray? You know, fasting is not just about skipping a meal. It's about doing that in order to do something else for a spiritual purpose. If you just skip a meal, that will benefit you in some ways, but not as much as it could. Because fasting is about doing things in order to intentionally orient yourself to God in prayer. And again, I find that I need to, pre I need to plan how I'm going to use that time. Otherwise, I just end up defaulting to the stuff that is easy to fill my time with. So you might find it helpful once you've set aside a time to fast and to pray, to find a place where you can be alone. 
Perhaps over a lunch break when other people are eating around you, you may find it more helpful to plan to go out in a walk. Uh, maybe being out in nature will actually help you connect with God, particularly away from other people who are eating. Keep a list of things that you're praying for, maybe in your own life or in the life of others. I have a list of things I pray for regularly, but I have a list of things I particularly pray for when I'm fasting, where I want to bring the whole of my being together in prayer for that particular thing. Listen to God. Read scripture and pray about it. Just avoid the bits about meat in Leviticus. Listen to God and journal anything you think he may be saying. I don't have time to share this story, but there are plenty of times when I have prayed and fasted and I have heard God with more clarity and been able to help people as a result. Write down anything you feel God may be saying to you as you try this. And then finally, dare to pray for others. Jesus said in Mark 9, there is power to help people, to set people free, to bring healing that comes through fasting. So as you're praying and fasting, why not give it a go? Pray some bold and daring prayers. Maybe pray for that sick friend or for that friend that doesn't know Jesus or, or go back to that thing you prayed about again and again and again and again and haven't seen breakthrough in. Are the band anywhere to be found? Am I going to have to lead us in worship? No, great, wonderful. Whew, you're all rescued there. As we learn to grow in prayer and fasting, I think it will impact every area of our lives, our spiritual lives, our work, it will help us to have more purpose. It will help us to engage with others, to engage with God in a deeper level. The fourth century church father, St. Basil of Caesarea, wrote this. Fasting gives birth to prophets. She strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawmakers wise. She is a safeguard of a soul, a stabilizing companion to the body, a weapon for the brave, a discipline for champions. Fasting knocks over temptations, anoints for godliness. She is a companion for sobriety, the crafter of a sound mind. In wars, she fights bravely. In peace, she teaches tranquility. I love that quote. It just shows the whole breadth of what is possible when we give ourselves over to God. I'm excited what may happen for us as a church as we surrender more and more and more to Jesus in all the ways we're talking about in this series through trusting his word, through daring to believe the things he could do through us if we commit ourselves to him, through a devotion to prayer, through relying on the Holy Spirit and fasting. Because Jesus says there are certain things that can only be done if you make this a lifestyle. And I know there are things in my life I'm longing to see, but I think I can only get there through the way Jesus taught, to give the whole of you over to him in full submission so that you're ready as a vessel to receive his power. So however you decide to apply this talk, and you may do it a whole load of different ways. Maybe some of you will go away and think, I want to try this this week. Maybe some of you will think, I never want to try this. However you decide to apply this talk, my appeal to you is, will you give your heart fully to Jesus and see what he can do in you and through you? You may well be surprised. And we're going to worship in just a second. And uh, we're going to sing a song that allows us to surrender ourselves to him and to ask for more of his power.